Okay, well, today in part nine, I want to talk to you about, ready? What fruit is it? Say it loud. So don't you just love the sound of that word? Isn't that the most exciting word you ever heard? Oh, we're going to learn how to control ourselves today. Wow, that's great. So self-control, it's not our enemy. It's not about what you can't do, what you can't eat, what you can't watch. It's a tool that God uses to keep us on the best path that he has for our life. Each one of the fruit are for something specific. I've been telling you that for the past 9, 10 weeks. Uh, love is for relationships, joy for strength, on and on. For your notes, write this down. Self-control is what helps us with sin. It's what helps us with sin. Um, I, I want to say a few things before we get into the three points. Um, a lot of people, when you see somebody that, that, that prays really, really well, you think, man, they are so spiritual. God, they're just so spiritual. Then you maybe see someone that's really good uh, with Scripture. They have a lot of Bible memorized. No, no, they're so spiritual. Um, or maybe speaking in tongues or prophesying and all oh, they're so spiritual. Let me tell you what it means to be spiritual. Here's what it means to be spiritual. is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can't get any more spiritual. And, you know, sometimes you meet people and they're, they're so weird, you think, man, they're really spiritual because they're so weird. I'm going to list, let me just list some of these fruit, and you tell me, if you met somebody that had this flowing out of their life, would you think they were weird, or would you just be so excited to spend time with them? If they were full of love, if they were full of joy, if they were so patient, so kind, they were humble, they had self-control, is that weird to you, or is that attractive to you? That's very attractive, isn't it? So it does not, being spiritual doesn't mean being weird or jumping over pews or anything like that. Being spiritual means producing the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Now, for your notes, I want you to write this down. The enemy, the enemy of self-control is our emotions. The enemy of self-control is our emotions. Let me show you a scripture that teaches us what it means to be unspiritual or immature, okay? I told you spiritual is producing fruit of the Spirit. Uh, immature, unspiritual, 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. You are unspiritual when under the control of ordinary impulses. One translation says, as long as you grab for what makes you feel good, you are a baby. Would you, would you agree that all the babies in the nursery right now, they want to do whatever makes them feel good? If it feels good for them to sit in service with their parents, that's what they want to do is be in service. If it feels good to drink milk out of a bottle, just give them a bottle or they're going to start crying. They do what feels good. Now, I wanted to, I was, I was praying, I said, God, what in the world can I say to open up with that will actually give us the desire to have more self-control? Because, you know, there's so many areas I could go in this. So I wanted to say something I think God showed me that I think will give you the, the oomph to desire more self-control, okay? Um, the world's view, the world's view is do whatever feels good. That's what the world's view is. That's why you see so much horrible things in our world today. Whatever feels good, do it. Uh, if I was speaking to a group of homosexuals or transgender, you know, boys that want to be girls, girls that want to be boys, or you know, racists, a bunch of racists or white supremacists or any of that, and they, say, they would say to me, you know, why don't y'all don't believe like we do or why don't you agree with us or any of that? I could easily point out, um, you know, marriage is between a husband and wife and God's created male and female and, and God says that I could do all that stuff, okay? But the foundation is this. Um, we believe that the Word of God is where we get our morals from, whether we feel like doing it or not. And the world says, if it feels good, just do it. 
we don't believe that we should act on our feelings all the time because that makes it subjective. If we, do, if, if we teach children in the world, whatever feels good, do it, then they're going to spend the rest of their life trying to do what feels good. It might feel good to kill somebody. It might feel good to lie or cheat or steal. But our mo you understand the difference. We don't do what feels good. We act in faith based on the Word of God, right? Okay. Let me keep going with this. So, if, um, and, and you know, we could get into all the spiritual stuff on marriage and everything else, but they're not going to listen to that. We just believe that we should not live by our emotions. Um, if I were to tell you, uh, let's, let's use racism, right? You meet some people and, they're, they're, man, they're so racist and they're white supremacists, Nazis, all this stuff. If it makes you hate them or respond with offense in your heart or talk bad about them or gossip about them, then you are doing the very same thing that you're upset that they're doing. Now you're acting on your feelings. When you come across homosexuals or gay pride and all these things, and you start acting rude or disrespectful or calling names or posting things on social media that are, that are just mean, you're doing the very same thing that you don't like that they're doing. You're acting on your emotions. Now here's why God's going to hold us accountable. We have the fruit of the Spirit in us, and we can actually use self-control. They don't. So what we should feel when we see all these things in the world that we can't stand, we should feel compassion. We should feel brokenhearted. And what can we do to lead them to Jesus? Not how can we fight back and prove our point and tell them how evil they are. And when we do that, we're acting on our emotions. Do you hear what I'm saying? So it's very important that we realize as believers we have self-control. So when all these things happen, we can remain calm and somehow lead them to Jesus through love and peace. Do you, do, you see, do you understand what I'm telling you? It says in Mark 8, 34, if any man wants to be my disciple, the word disciple comes from the word, it comes from the word discipline. In other words, we're supposed to discipline our lives after the word of God. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to discipline yourself. And here's how you do it. You deny what you want for self. You deny what you, you want to yell at them. You want to call them names. You want to tell them how evil they are for doing that. You want to walk around with offense in your heart and unforgiveness on the inside. But that's just doing what you feel. So we have to deny what we feel like we want to do and follow Jesus. Do you see the difference? Okay, so I hope that somehow that gives you some desire to have self-control. Because we need it when we leave this church and we go out into the world. We're believers. We're supposed to be the ones that don't act on our emotions. We're supposed to be the ones that act in faith rather than feelings. Uh, in the Greek, the word self-control means this, to grip or take hold of. Now, it does not mean to grip or take hold of that person that you're angry with. It does not mean to grip or take hold of your boss. It does not mean to grip or take hold of. It means to grip or take hold of yourself. And you have the ability to do it the more you spend time with the Holy Spirit, the more that fruit. Now, I will say this too. This, this is what sucks, okay? This is the only fruit that the way it's developed is when you don't want to develop it. Think about it. The only fruit that you develop when you don't want to. In other words, you don't need self-control if you want to do what God's telling you to do and forgive and be peaceful and loving. The only way you get to grow this fruit, self-control, is when you don't want to or desire to. That's when you need self-control to actually do it. I thought this was making better sense, is it not? Okay, whatever, I'll get Jerry Savelle. Okay, so there's three points. They all start with the letter M, three things that we need to grip or take hold of. And point number one for your notes is this, your mood. Your mood, that's right, all the ladies said, mm-hmm. All the men are like, thank God I brought my wife to church today. 
your mood and you can't blame it on anything else because you have the ability as a Christian to control your mood. 2 Timothy 4, 5, it says, Be calm, cool, and steady in all circumstances. Fully perform the duties of your ministry. Whether your ministry is something you do in church, your ministry is your family, your workplace, whatever it is. If you feel like quitting, you don't do it because you don't act on your emotions. If you feel like getting offended, if you feel like sitting around the, the, the coffee place and, and gossiping about the boss, you don't do it because that's a feeling. You, 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 you continue to be faithful and perform whatever God's calling you to perform. Um, I heard about this guy. He bought his wife a mood ring so he could kind of find out what kind of mood she's in when he, when he came home. And he, this isn't going to go well, is it? And... Uh, <laughs> He said when she was in a good mood, the ring turns green. He said when she's in a bad mood, it leaves a red mark on my forehead. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a moody person, that's a very selfish way to live. It's very selfish. You should not be, here's why, your children won't ever know what kind of mood you're going to be in. How selfish is that? For, for people to walk into your home and not know what the atmosphere is going to be like. What, well, did you have a good day or not? It shouldn't matter. You can control your mood whether the circumstances were right or not. In Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he calls together his children to give them uh, their last right, their last little bit of wisdom before he dies. In Genesis 49 verse 4, he said to his firstborn Reuben, he said, you're my firstborn. Your birthright gives you the preeminence of dignity and power. Let me say this. We are firstborn. We are heirs of Jesus Christ, okay? We are, we are supposed to be promoted in life. We are supposed to be the ones promoted in the world, but it says this, because you're unstable and uncontrollable like water, you can't control yourself. And here's what, you will not excel or have the preeminence. How many people, even in this room, were supposed to be at a higher level? We're supposed to, be have, we're supposed to have more influence. We're supposed to be higher in the corporate world, higher in the ministry world. God's supposed to trust us with more, but we can't control ourselves. You say, well, they made me feel this way, or they did this to me. They're the reason I'm upset. They're the reason I quit. They're the reason I cuss somebody out. You're saying that they have more control over you than you have of yourself? That's a very sad way to live, that someone else can control you above you yourself. Um, uh, in, in uh, let's see, in... Um, 2 Samuel 17, 2, it's talking about enemies attacking David. He said, I'm going to attack him when he's tired and discouraged. He'll panic, and all his men will run away, and I'll kill David. I want you to see when the enemy goes after us. He goes after us when we have allowed our circumstances to determine our mood. When we're discouraged, we're down, we're depressed, you think Satan's going to give you a break and say, okay, I'll leave you alone for now. That's when he's going to go after you. When you've allowed your emotions to control your life. I heard about this guy, true story, he invited his friend over for dinner one night, and the, the man, the main guy was the owner of a big construction company, and his friend just started working for him recently, and said, I want you to come on, meet my wife and kids, we'll have dinner. Well, the problem was, is that day they had a horrible, horrible day. All kind of problems went happening in the construction site, people were late, things weren't getting done, a tire went bad, um, all kind of bad things. And so the friend was just sitting still in the truck on the way home, super quiet, didn't want to say a word. He knew his, his buddy, he knew his boss was in a really bad mood. When they got to the house, they were walking in the front door. Before they got to the front door, the boss man, he, he walked by this plant that was outside of his house, and he kind of put his hands over it a few times, just four or five seconds. Then he went inside the house. The friend said whenever the boss got into the home, everything changed. He said it was a miraculous transformation. The boss was smiling, 
had a big old smile. His kids came up and he swung his kids around, gave his wife a kiss, a hug. He said they had the best dinner, just laughing, cutting up, having a good time. After dinner, the kids went to bed. The wife was cleaning up. So he asked his boss, said, what was it about that tree that puts you in such a good mood? The boss said, that's what I call my trouble tree. He said, I know I can't avoid having troubles during the day, but I can avoid them being brought into my house with my family. So he said, every night I hang my troubles on my tree, and I trust God to take care of them. He said, on top of that, the next morning when I get up, there's never as many troubles on the tree as there was the night before. He was saying, I found a way not to let my emotions ruin my family, ruin my family life. A few weeks ago, I was um, at a restaurant called um, Victoria's in Myrtle Beach. It's actually Pastor Matt's family used to own it years ago. And I'm sitting there, and I just started reading my emails while I'm waiting on my food. And, man, it was just a really bad email I got, one of those emails that pastors don't like to get. And I'm just, like, so upset. I'm starting to get discouraged. And it was like God said to me, uh, if you could have lunch with anybody in Myrtle Beach, anybody in Horry County, who would you pick to have lunch with? In that moment, I turned around, and the one man I would have chosen came through the doors all by himself. It was Big Tom Britton. He was my boss at the Methodist Church for 20-something years. He's 96 years old, and he's still in ministry full-time. 96! He came walking through all by himself. I said, Big Tom, come have lunch with me. He sat down with me. He graduated Walford at 21, and for 75 years he's been in full-time ministry, even at 96 years old. I said, Big Tom, i got some questions for you. How do I deal with this? What do you think about this? What would you do in this situation? And um, his communication skills aren't exactly what they used to be when he was in his 70s or 80s. But in fact, at one point, he got the numbers 2 million mixed up with 20 million. And it was actually very pertinent to the conversation that he got it right. But anyway, and so we're talking, and he basically told me this. He said, John Paul, if you want to live to be 96 years old, and you want to spend 75 years helping people every day of your life, you cannot allow anyone else to control your feelings. If they hurt your feelings, just keep on going forward, fully perform the duties of ministry. If you're upset or angry, just keep going forward, fully perform the duties of ministry. You can't waste time allowing your emotions to control and dictate how you're going to act and spend your life. Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, Isaac. It never says by feeling. It never says, you know what, they really had their emotions rising up and they just did whatever they felt. Every one of the great men and women in Hebrews 11, it says they did it by faith. They didn't feel like doing it, they did it anyway. They didn't feel like giving, they gave. They didn't feel like sacrificing, they sacrificed. They didn't feel like serving, they served. They didn't feel like smiling, they smiled by faith. They did it by faith. Um, you say, well, um, I, can't, I can't help the way I feel. I hear people say it all the time when it comes to a lot of the worldly things. and I, talk, I just can't help that I feel this way. I've been this way my whole life. I'm not asking you to change your feelings. I'm asking you not to act on them. There's a big difference. And I will tell you this as in, 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 in experience. The more you don't act on a certain feeling, the more that feeling starts to go away year after year after year. Okay, point number two for your notes, mind. M-I-N-D. we got to learn how to have self-control in the area of our mind. Ephesians 4.23, be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh attitude. You need to start thinking about what you're thinking about. Our life follows our thoughts. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was surrounded by three evil armies. And the Bible says that he was being bombarded by Satan in the area of his mind. Verse 3 says that he was, uh, let's see, that he was so afraid he had to ask God for fearful thoughts. You're going to die. Your family's going to die. It's going to be so bad. And so the way he got his mind going in the right direction was he began to pray out loud. He began to quote the Word of God. You know, our light, our mind will always go in the area of what we're looking at, listening to, or reading. That's why you can't watch the news all day long and expect to walk away and have a good mind. I was in a restaurant the other day, and the news was on in front of me, and uh, it was showing all these people in New York upset because they're not letting uh, um, um, a brick oven pizzas anymore in New York. They're trying to get a law that has them all taken down. And this one guy in the news was taking pizza slices and throwing them over the fence into one of the federal buildings. And all I could think about was, you idiot moron, do you really think that's going to help the situation? And I started to find myself acting the very way that he's acting. He's doing what feels good to him, and now I'm upset at him, and that feels good to me. So we got to get our mind off of those things. And so Jehoshaphat said in verse 4 through 12, you are God in heaven. This is actually a really great prayer if you were to memorize it or write it down. You're God in heaven. You rule over the kingdoms and nations. Power and might are in your hand. There's no one able to stand against you. You can't say that out loud and not be filled with faith, by the way. Now, he was honest because people say, well, this, I just got to be honest. Watch. We are powerless against this great multitude which is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but now our thoughts are upon you. We got our thoughts going in the right direction. In verse 15, God said this, Have no fear, pay the enemy no mind. The battle is not yours. It belongs to God. Now let me just tell you, here's the requirement for God fighting your battles for you. You've got to use self-control in the area of your mind. If you'll get your thoughts going the right direction, your faith will start to get built up, and that's what God needs to do His work. He actually caused confusion to hit those three armies, and they all killed themselves. Uh, for your notes, if you want to write down the two main things that control your thought life, it's what you watch, listen to, or read, right, the stuff you put in you, and it's the people you hang out with. I've, seen, I've had the most faith-filled, excited people get around the wrong people. Now, they're not excited about church. They're not excited about serving God. They don't like their spouse, on and on, because they simply hung out with the wrong people. I've had the opposite. People that are not doing well, and they get around the right people, and their faith is built up. They want to get water baptized. They want God to change their life, all because they hung around the right people. People can greatly affect your mind. I read a true story. It's a true story about Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle. Uh, I know you all know Mickey Mantle. Billy Martin was a baseball player turned into a coach. But um, one day Mickey Mantle asked Billy, he said, I have this friend that lives you know, up north. We're going to drive a few hours and go hunting on his property. Do you want to go hunting with me? And Billy said, sure, I'll go with you. And so they got, drove all this long way. They pulled up to the ranch. And Mickey Mantle, he told Billy, he said, just wait in the car. I'll go tell him we're here. I'll get permission, and then we'll go hunting. So he went inside. And the friend, he said, yeah, you can hunt on my property. He said, but I got a favor for you. Okay, true story. He said, I got an old mule in my barn that I really love, but the mule's going blind, is about to die. I don't have the heart to shoot him and put him out of his misery, will you do it for me? This is what they did, of course, in the old days. Mickey Mantle said, sure, I'll do it for you, no big deal. But Mickey Mantle decided to play a joke on his friend Billy. So he storms out of the house, pretending to be furious. He gets in the car and slams the door. Billy says, what's wrong, Mickey? Mickey says, I'm so mad. We drove all the way up here. He said, we can't hunt on his property, so I'm going to go in his barn and shoot one of his mules. 
So Mickey Mantle drove like a maniac all the way to the barn. He told how Billy's eyes were as big as saucers. He said, Mickey, are you crazy? We can't shoot one of his mules. Mickey Mantle said, you just watch me do it. So Mickey Mantle ran into the barn by himself and shot that mule dead. While he was in there, he heard two more shots. He ran outside and Billy was putting his rifle down. He said, Billy, what are you doing? Billy's face was red with anger. He said, we'll show that son of a gun. I just shot two of his horses too. <laughs> you get around the wrong people, I'm telling you. Proverbs 5.23 says, death is the reward for an undisciplined life and no self-control. One time the apostle Paul, he was in prison in Acts 24, and Governor Felix thought that Paul was so interesting he would bring him out to talk to him sometime. So one day he brought him out to stand before him, and he said, Paul, tell me something about your God. Tell me something about the Word of God, the Bible, whatever you believe. In Acts 24, 25, it says, as Paul talked about self-control and moral discipline, Felix became terrified and said, go away, and I will call for you at a more convenient time. You know, that's what the world does not want to hear. We try to talk to them a little bit about the morals of the Bible, the Word. They think, you know what, go away till a more convenient time. But Christians do the same thing. When I tell you that it is a sin to be offended in your heart, you think this, I don't want to hear that sermon. We'll preach about that at a more convenient time. When I tell you that it is a sin to hate people who are hating you, I don't want to hear about that. We'll talk about that at a more convenient time. It's so, so interesting the things that we actually want to hear and the things that we need to hear that we don't want to hear. Uh, for your notes, point number three is this. Uh, we're going to talk about our mouth. Our mouth. Yes. And all the men said, why did you have to do that? James 3, 2 says, if a man, now let me just say this. We opened up with what it means to be immature and unspiritual, right? It's when you, when you can't control yourself and you live by how you feel. Here's what it means to be mature. If a man can control his tongue, he is mature and able to control his whole body. Let me give you another one, James 1.26. If you think yourself religious, yet do not control your tongue, your religion is worthless. Let me give you a little example of that. Let's say that you, you served in church today, you gave in the offering, uh, you go to Bible study this week, you help your neighbors, uh, you take some, give somebody a ride somewhere, you spend your whole week serving God, then Friday night you go out with some friends, and you're just listening to music, having dinner, whatever it is. And they say, well, let me tell you something I heard. And then the gossip starts. And then you say, well, what do you think about this? And then the slander. And then the hatred and all this. In that five, the Bible says that your tongue can do more damage in five minutes' time than all the work you did serving Jesus that week. And you just made all that work null and void because you couldn't control your mouth. 2 Timothy 2.16, avoid godless chatter. Well, you're not talking to yourself. There's somebody there because those who indulge in it will actually become more ungodly. Colossians 3.8, you must rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth, whether you feel like it or not. Um, and this scripture is for northerners. So let me tell you about filthy language. <laughs> joking, joking. But now the first outward sign that you got saved is your mouth. Because the first inward sign is that God changes your heart when you're saved. Okay, the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're still F-bombing every sentence, if you're still negative, you're still slandering, and you have no conviction about that at all, there's a chance you're not saved. I just really want to make sure that you are convicted 
when your mouth is going in the wrong direction. Job 15, 13, when your emotions take over, your whole being is against God, and you let such words go out of your mouth. Um, after I've been pastoring for maybe five years or so, all five kids were alive. Selah was one, Asher was um, three, I think Eli five, Zach 10 or 11, and Logan 15, and we're all at Target, right? We're all at Target. And we, I was already having a bad day, and, you know, the rule of thumb is when you're already having a horrible day, don't take five kids grocery shopping, but whatever, you know. So we were at Target, and I said, listen, y'all, I said, listen. And let me just say this. For, let me preface this. I never had to spank any child except for Zach. And he got enough spankings for all the rest of them for the rest of their life. And so I, was, I said, listen, y'all, if you're all good, I'll get you an icy afterwards. Well, if you're all good, for the, all we're going to do is get groceries. We're going to get icy afterwards, you know, on the way out. The whole time we're in Target, Zach is being horrible. He's tripping one child, punching another child, taking one toy, making another one cry, hiding somewhere, and, when you, and, and I go to find him, and he won't come out. Like, you're hiding, and imagine how horribly mad you'd be. I said, Zach, we're not playing hide-and-seek. You come out now, or I'll beat you in front of everybody, and he still hides the whole time. So by the end of it, I said, you know what, Zach? You're not getting an icy. You're not getting an icy. Everybody gets an icy except for you. So I'm getting everybody the ices. He's upset, so I said, okay, listen, if you'll apologize to each one of your siblings, I'll get you an icy. So he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I got my icy. As we're going out of Target, I, got, I heard behind me him look at all of his siblings and say, I'm not really sorry, but I got, I got my icy anyway. <laughs> when I heard that, fire came up inside of me, and I did the exact opposite of what I'm saying. And listen, I had not cussed. At this point, I had not cussed in 11 years, and that is the truth. Not one word of profanity had come out of my mouth in 11 years until that moment. Right there in the parking lot, I said, you little prick, and I just went on and on. I turned around, and when I grabbed his icy, it was a big styrofoam cup, and every one of my fingers went right through the entire cup. There's icy all over me, running down. Now, I don't know if you know the proper way to beat your children in public, but here's how you can do it you grab their arm and hold them off the ground so when you're spanking them they can't move out of the way right so I'm picking up him and I'm doing this like here and icy's funny and about that time I heard this voice Pastor Miller is that you <laughs> this young couple they just got saved just got married they were getting baptized we never saw them ever again I don't know what happened to them bad witness but Proverbs 25 28 a man with no self-control is like a city that has no walls. You lose your protection. It's a witness. The world has no idea what self-control is. Just turn on the news. They have no idea. This is what sets us apart from everybody that does not have the Holy Spirit in their life. I read a true story about this young black man many, many years ago. He was getting on one of these buses. It didn't really have seats. It was these buses where you guys, I guess you hold on to things and you stand up. And he was getting on the bus, and when he got on, there were three white men right there in front of him. He said, excuse me, and they wouldn't let him by. So he kind of went the other way, said, excuse me, they still wouldn't let him by. So he very kindly just tried to ease on by, and one of the white guys shoved him as hard as they could. He kind of fell back and thought, okay, it's okay. You know, we're, we're okay. He gets back up, and he goes the other way, and the other guy, white guy on the end, shoves him as well. He finally makes it by both of them. He's at the back of the bus just thinking, man, I would love to kill them. You know, and of course you're thinking three against one, what's he going to do? Well, when he finally gets off the bus, it comes to a halt. He walks from the back of the bus to the front of the bus. And when he walks by the three white guys, all he does is hand them his business card. His business card read this, 
Joe Lewis, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. <coughs> Joe Lewis wasn't just stronger on the outside, he was stronger on the inside too. That's what it means to be meek, is strength under control. Proverbs 14, 29 says, A wise man is slow to anger, but runaway emotions show how stupid you are. Uh, I'll close with a story in 2 Kings 4, one of my favorite stories. This woman and her husband, they built a little mother-in-law suite, I guess what we call it, uh, for the prophet Elisha. Just a little room on the side of the house to have his own area. So when Elisha was traveling through uh, and doing ministry, he'd have a place to stay, and he was so grateful so Elisha said, well, what can God do for y'all? They said, we don't want anything. We just wanted to give into your ministry. He said, no, no, you can't give without God doing something. What do you want? They said, well, we've always wanted a child, but we're unable to conceive. In 2 Kings 4.16, Elisha said, by this time next year, you'll be holding your baby son. And sure enough, it came to pass. Ten years go by. The boy's outside on the farm helping his dad work. He starts to get a headache starts to get a fever so he comes inside the house in verse 20 it says the boy was brought to his mother who held him in her lap until noon at which point he died now for most people this would be the end of the story right something negative happened now they have a right a reason to go around and speak negatively for the rest of their life it's so funny when people say well they, they ask me a question I gotta tell them the truth listen sometimes your truth isn't God's truth and so it says in verse 22, this woman wasn't done. She said, I called her husband, get me a donkey so I can get to the prophet. Her husband said, well, what's wrong? Here's what her response was. All is well. She didn't feel like all is well. It didn't even look like all is well. In fact, all of what she could see showed that nothing was well. But in faith, she said, all is well. This also teaches me sometimes we don't need to go straight to people when we're upset. We don't need to tell our spouse everything that's bothering us in the very minute that it's bothering us. I wonder how many churches, relationships, businesses would be more prosperous if people would go to God for at least a week every day, and I bet God could handle more of your problems than you exposing them to everybody else in your life. In verse 24, she saddled the donkey, she told her servant, make the donkey go as fast as it can. Do not let it slow down unless I tell you to. She was on her way to Elisha's house. Elisha represents God as being the prophet in the Old Testament. When Elisha saw the, the dust billowing up in the sky from a mile or so away, he said to his servant Gehazi, I think that's that woman, the one that had the kid that, we, that built the house. Go up there and ask her what's wrong. So Gehazi gets on his horse. He gets up to her, and he thought she would stop, but she's still going. So he turns his horse around and he's screaming to her. He said, is something wrong with you? She said, all is well. He said, well, is there something wrong with your husband? She said, all is well. Is there something bad going on in your life? All is well. And then he asked the question that none of us in this room would fault her if she finally poured out all the negative things going on. In verse 26, is there something wrong with your child? At that point, she still responded, all is well. I, I think if that were our response, you know, I, I, there are people, they are so excited when someone says, how's your day? Because they cannot wait to say everything that went wrong that day. How's your marriage? Oh, they can't wait to tell you bad stuff about their spouse. How are your kids doing? Oh, man, they're doing horrible. Let me tell you this, all 
is well. She didn't feel all is well, but she spoke it in faith. And here's why. We can't live by emotions and faith at the same time. And when you're living by emotions just like everybody else in the world, we can't live by both of these at the same time. It'll stop your miracle. It'll stop what God's wanting to do. Your words, your words can either stop or start a miracle in your life. I could show you that in almost every book of the entire Bible. In 1 Kings 4.35, after Elisha prayed for the boy, he, I, it's so funny that the Bible puts stuff like this in here, which I have no reason, no idea why they put it in there. It just proves how detailed and true the Bible is. The boy sneezed seven times, and he opened up his eyes and woke up fully alive, fully healthy. This woman did not let her mouth stop her miracle. So let me say this. There are two kinds of pain in life. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. The pain of discipline weighs ounces compared to the pain of regret that weighs tons. Hebrews 12:11 says at the time discipline actually is painful, and it is. Not as painful as regret though. But afterwards, discipline yields peaceful fruit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We never like to close our service without giving the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you on an individual level, one-on-one. I could easily pray for those that... um the mind, the mouth, the mood. But I, I want to focus the prayer on those of us in here who have such a hard time dealing with people in the world, regardless of what their sin is. A Republican, Democrat, foreign, whatever, whatever upset, whatever group upsets you. Because that group, if you allow yourself to be controlled by your emotions, God will never use you to lead anyone in that group to Jesus. You've completely ruined your witness. So if you're here today and you need more self-control in the area of responding to someone or something that you know is ungodly, can you lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? Because we need more self-control, loving, peaceful people out there. Lord, thank you so much for everyone that had the faith to lift their hand and say we cannot change without Jesus. We can't even control ourselves without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's no self. We can't do anything apart from you, Lord. So to ask that you give us more grace for the world, more compassion for those that don't believe like us, more love, more peace for the things we witness at school, TV, world, that we don't agree with, things that bother us. Thank you, Lord, for that holy and righteous anger that does not lead us to sin, but leads us to pray, leads us to have compassion, leads us to give, leads us to help. Thank you, Lord, for using Solid Rock to be a light to all of Myrtle Beach. We love you and thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you for these people in this room that are the foundation that'll set the course for generations to come at Solid Rock, Faith First Academy, now kids. We thank you, God, for leaders that are not led by how they feel, but they're led by faith. 
We thank you, Lord, for elders, for prayer partners, for, for short group leaders, facilitators, for Sunday school teachers, for children's uh, worker staff. We thank you for every leader in this room, Lord, who uses their influence to lead people closer to Jesus by faith that causes people to get excited about serving and giving and doing things that the world knows nothing of. We thank you, Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit in our life and for closing out this series with more self-control. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our